Rabbi Steve Leader is uh, a guest on our show right now. He's the author of More Beautiful Than Before, How Suffering Transforms Us. Uh, rabbi Leader, you are the senior rabbi of Wilshire, Wilshire. Is it Wilshire or Wilshire? Wilshire. Wilshire Boulevard Temple in L.A. And I read somewhere in in some of this bio stuff here that it's called uh, one of America's largest and most important congregations. Why are you one of the most important congregations? Well, I I think that's uh, no more or less true of, of us than any other congregation. I think it is fair to say we're uh, one of the largest and certainly the most complex because we have, you know, if Jews had a mega church, we would be it. We have three campuses. We have two early childhood centers, two elementary schools, two sleepaway camps, an adult conference center. So we're, we're more complex, I would say, and, and multifaceted than uh, most synagogues in the world. In fact, I think we're the only one in the world that has that much going on in that many places. Wow. Okay, why are you talking with me today? Aren't you breaking a rule by talking with me on the show today? <laughs> well, you know, I, I knew you were going to ask me that because I know you know, you're a thoughtful, educated guy, and it is true that certain behaviors are forbidden on the Sabbath, but you are allowed to transgress any rule, uh, except for three, if you believe it has the potential to save a life. And that's why I'm talking to you today. And right. we called him too, right? So that's not working for him. Yeah, you, you called me. There right. you go. Right. Um, no, because I've had to. I, I've reached out to numerous uh, Jewish leaders over the 15 years of yeah. doing the show, and I get knocked back all the time. Yeah. Well, I opened the door for you, Drew. Who's the big Let's British go. guy? Uh, the guy. What's his name? Um, Jonathan Sachs. Yeah, I believe Rabbi well, Sachs. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Rabbi Sachs. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think he'd be a fantastic interview, but I couldn't even. They wouldn't even let me pre-record it and play it on Saturday. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite as uptight. <laughs> you can't be that uptight if you're hanging out with Ken Hertz. That's for sure. Holy cow. Because <laughs> he takes all the uptightness in the room and swallows it up himself. Um, yeah, Kenny is tightly wound. There's no whew, doubt about that. Man. But he's, he's genius. He's a genius and he's got great hair. Really good hair. And you want, yeah, and you want him in your corner. There's you no do. No question about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, let's go right to the fact that uh, there's a lot of people going through hell. And I, I remember I, I asked Paul Young, a buddy of mine, he wrote The Shack, and I said, you know, you've had so many people share their stories about their own shacks, their own, you know, uh, processing some kind of curveball or hell in life. And what do they, did they how do they look upwards? What do they do when they look upwards? They can say, screw you, I, I'm out of here, I'm not going to do this God thing anymore. I mean, I, I, I walked out of the... Uh, uh, the Holocaust Memorial many years ago in, in Israel, uh, Yad Vashem, yeah. and the children's exhibit. That's where I lost mm -hmm. it. That was I was yeah. I checked out big time then. Yeah. So yeah. A so million points of light. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. more beautiful than before. How suffering transforms us, dude. It's a it's a there's a thin uh, line there between transformation and screw it. Right? Is there not? I, I actually don't think so. I think that underestimates the uh, power of the human spirit. Uh, most, be, you know, the first uh, essay in the book, in the first chapter, is called "When You Must, You Can," and it's really true. And and I think that's true not because uh, people have something that is rare. You know, it's a rare person with a rare 
power and ability to to walk through hell. I don't see it that way. I think it's because we're we're all ordinary, but we have this extraordinary strength when we need it. Uh, we often don't find it until we need it, which is connected to this whole idea in the title that in some ways this challenge before us or this suffering or this pain ultimately does make us more beautiful. You know, it's this paradoxical notion which a spiritual person can understand, which is that in some ways we are only truly whole after being broken. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of wholeness that comes from brokenness, Um, and and it, it shows itself in many ways. One of them, by the way, uh, is is kindness. You know, the Bible says God quotes God as saying, "I put my words upon your heart, upon your heart." And the the Jewish sages have a conversation about this two thousand years ago. Why upon our hearts and not in our hearts? Certainly, God has the ability to place God's words in our hearts. Why only on our hearts? And the answer the sages give is that it isn't until our hearts are broken that the words can enter. Hmm. What is that? Uh... There's some kind of, I'm going to slaughter this example. I shouldn't have even started, but I already have, so let's keep going. The cracked egg, and then they fill the cracks with gold. Do you know what I'm talking about, Tim? Uh, No, but it sounds like one of those Fabergé eggs. It it does sound like one of those. (laughs) Rabbi, Rabbi, can you rescue this conversation? Do you know what I'm talking about? Probably. (laughs) Okay, so look. There are these very common folk motifs, and I think the story you're referring to um, in a Jewish context is a story about uh, a precious gem, a diamond, uh, that belongs to a king, and it gets a scratch. There's a scratch in it, a flaw in it, and he's just apoplectic. He's beside himself, and he takes it to various people. No one can make much of it or fix it or solve it, and he he takes it to uh, one sage who then uses that scratch as the stem of a rose and carves a rose into the diamond and and uses, in other words, that crack to make something beautiful. You know, it's funny, we keep going back to this first piece in the book, but um, there's a quote in that first piece uh, from Emerson who said, there is a crack in everything that God has made. And then, you know, since I'm speaking to a Canadian, the great uh, Canadian poet Leonard Cohn from Montreal in in his uh, song "Ring the Bells," he says there is a he he riffs off of Emerson and he says there is a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this is going to maybe make you think that I wasn't listening when you were giving those great quotes, but I was at the same time <laughs> googling what I what I was talking about, and uh, there is oh, good. Japanese pottery, Japanese pottery, this art of repairing broken pottery with with uh, oh. lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold or silver. And so it's this unique way of sort of, you know, when you rep- – it's the gold that fills in the – okay, I'm going to stop talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so go right to, please, if you don't mind, uh, and on the line here with Rabbi Steve Leader, what is the one story that comes to the top of your mind every time you do these interviews and about this book? I mean, we're talking about suffering transforming us. Give us an example of someone that you sat down with who shared their suffering and you and you were able to witness transformation in this person. Mm, boy, there's so many. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, let me tell you two, one personal and one about someone I don't know, but I know the story is true. Let's start with that one first. It's a story about the violinist Yitzhak Perlman, 
who, as uh, you would, I think most people know, is, was uh, you know stricken with polio at a very young age. Mm-hmm. He's walked with leg braces and crutches his entire life, virtually. So he was uh, walked out onto stage to play a concerto. And just as he was about to begin, one of the strings broke on his violin. And he proceeded to transpose the entire concerto in his mind, to change the fingerings in his mind. And he played the entire concerto while missing a string. And of course, you know, the audience, when he finished, went absolutely insane, crazy. And he finally quieted them down and he looked out at them and he said, it's my job to make music with what remains. Man. Right. So I have to say that I end the book with that story because that's the point is, is make music with what remains, make something beautiful of your suffering. You know, Dostoevsky said his greatest fear in life was that his life would not be worthy of his suffering. Live a life that's worthy of what you've gone through. And, and so now an example of, you know, someone uh, who has done that, uh, that comes to mind, a very, very interesting story. It's a little complex. I hope, uh, you don't mind the complexity of it. Uh, I, I don't even know, know how to spell know. complexity, so go for it. <laughs> so, you know, this is a just an unbelievable combination of events. A couple of years ago, two families in the congregation, two of them, lost loved ones who were pedestrians uh, hit by cars. And in one case, it was a hit and run, 25-year-old young man, uh, hit by a driver and the driver just kept going took almost a year and a half to arrest this woman in the other it was an elderly man killed in the crosswalk by a woman who was fumbling for her cell phone it fell off the center console of her car and she was fumbling for her cell phone and just drove right into this poor man and killed him so you know all families connected to my congregation in the first case of this hit and run uh situation it just left behind just horrible pain. And this family to this day, every day is nothing but pain management all day, every day. Uh, this woman finally was, was caught and went to jail. But I, I include in the book, in this essay called Hurt and Run, I include in the book the father's testimony at the sentencing hearing, which is just searingly painful. In the second case, the woman who hit this elderly man in the crosswalk stopped, got out, did everything she possibly could do um, and, you know, did her community service time, went through the criminal case, went through the civil case. And when it was all over, uh, the the widow of this man was a member of my congregation. She called me and she said, the woman who killed Bill wants to see me and, and, and ask for my forgiveness. Do I have to see her? And I said, you do. And then she said, will you be there with me? And I said, I will. And then I met with her and sort of prepared her for, uh, you know, this meeting, which was going to take place. And I, I walked her through the steps, according to the middle-aged uh, sage, Moses Maimonides. Uh, he actually laid out four steps that you have to go through to achieve reconciliation and repentance. And, uh, and I walked through the stages with this woman, and I reminded her that according to Jewish law, that when a person who has committed a sin against you has gone through these four stages and truly repented. If you don't forgive them after being asked three times, the sin is then upon you. It's on you, yeah. yeah. It's on you. So we have this meeting in that office be- between this, this woman, who, by the way, was a Holocaust survivor, 
her son and the woman who killed her husband. And this woman comes into my office. We all sit down. She looks into this widow's eyes and she says, I am so sorry. I was wrong. What I did was wrong. And I'm so sorry. And please forgive me. I've done everything I can. And I know it'll never be right and enough. Uh, and this, this woman whose husband had been killed walked over to this frail, thin, frightened woman who had killed her husband, cupped her face in her hands, looked into her eyes, weeping and said, God bless you and kissed her. Hmm. It was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen emerge out of suffering. Hmm. And, and that, that's the story that comes to mind. And, and of course, look, the point of this essay called hurt and run in the book is I do say, look, probably no one reading this book or almost no one reading this book will ever, will ever hit and run with an automobile. But we all hurt and run. We all leave other people's feelings like roadkill behind us. And there is a way to make this right. You know, there are other books on pain, obviously. I didn't create a genre. But what's different about this book uh, is that it also deals with the topic of what do you do when you are the betrayer? not the betrayed what do you do when you're the cause of pain yeah. not the victim of pain you see that's hard, that's harder man i'm telling you that is way but harder for me it is like then what you know so many people have been asking me in these interviews about the book uh, you know well what would you say to harvey weinstein right now if he belonged to your congregation which he doesn't but what would i say you know what do you say to the perpetrator and you know to to cut to the chase on that basically you have to say to people look pain is a powerful teacher if you are a willing student you know there is much to learn here there is much to learn here about humility there's much to learn here about the three hardest words for most human beings to say which by the way are not i am sorry because you know i'm sorry drew that can mean a lot of things it can mean i'm sorry i got caught i'm yeah, sorry yeah. It happened i'm sorry you feel that i you know fill in the blank so the much more difficult than saying i'm sorry are these three words I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. That's powerful. Wait, are you married? That... <laughs> well, in, in, you know, to stay married, the three most important words you can say are, yes, my empress. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Let me tell you, they pretend they don't like it, but they do. They do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, my empress. But, you know, I was wrong takes the sting out right away. You know, then obviously there are other steps you have to take. You have to change your behavior. You have to be in the same circumstance again and not repeat that sin or transgression. So, I, but I was wrong is an awfully good beginning. And, and that's for sure. You know, the, the story you just told yeah, about the people in your congregation who had lost loved ones. And uh, Kenny, yeah. told, Kenny told me that when we were sitting at the W Hotel in West Beverly Hills a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and he wept during this story. Yeah, yeah. I have never, well, that's not true. Since then, I wrote a, I wrote a sermon about the 11 things I've learned about death after 30 years of seeing it up close. But prior to that most recent sermon, that sermon about these two families and these two stories that ended very differently yeah. uh, was the most requested sermon uh, I have ever written. It made its way around the world, really. 
It was such a powerful moment. I will never forget it. Well, is there not a scripture that says something like, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed? Um, and that yeah, it's yeah. not forgiven. It's not forgiven. It, it's about the healing process. It's about... Confession all... is the first step. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's the first step. And by the way, saying it out loud, not to yourself. Say it out loud. I was wrong. Have you ever? You must have had somebody as a rabbi. You must have had someone come up to you afterwards, or in, in a personally personal counseling session, or whatever, and say to you, uh, "Dude, you have no idea. You you have no idea." And then they share something with you, and you realize, "Holy crap, you're right. I have no idea." I I and for me to 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 you know teach you these expectational this expectational process that you, you really need to go through. Uh, and, and, and really, the reason you're walking them through this is so that they experience freedom, because we think if we don't forgive so-and-so for doing whatever to us, that keeps them on the hook, and really, the only person that's on the hook is us for not doing that. But come so, on, you and I both know it's way easier to rattle on about this stuff and bumper sticker our way through this sort of thing with these platitudes, but to really, like when someone has been done so wrong, have you ever, have you ever questioned in a, in a session with somebody, uh, whether you can you can actually walk them through this process, because you, if well, they can do this, oh my goodness. Are, there are unforgivable sins. There are. Okay, let's accept that. Some sins are unforgivable. Uh, murder is the simplest example, because the victim can't forgive you. The mm-hmm. victim's dead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are unforgivable sins. That's number one. But number two, let's move on to what do you do when you have someone in this extreme circumstance that says, Rabbi, you have no idea how terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. he was, she was, it was, etc. Number one, uh, the, the truth is that maybe I don't, but you have some decisions to make. Uh, by the way, the first thing is forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. I'm not asking you to forget what happened. I'm not asking you to trust again this person. I'm asking you to release this bitterness. Because you're right, Drew, you alluded to it. Uh, most people think forgiveness is for the perpetrator. It's not, it's not true. It, it's for the victim. How bitter do you want to be for the rest of your life? You know, in the book, I paraphrased the Buddha who said, in life, we are not punished for our anger. We are punished by our anger. Yeah. Right? How angry do you want to be? Number one. Number two, there's another uh, piece, a little piece in the book, uh, where I quote Jonathan Safran Foyer from his uh, relatively new book, Here I Am, in which he says, everyone is wounded, everyone. And if you can remember a person's wounds, it makes it easier to forgive. Hmm. People behave these ways for a reason. Number three, sometimes it is appropriate to say to oneself, if one can't let go, and also to another, are you so perfect? Have you never gossiped? Have you never slammed a door in anger? Have you never lost your temper? Have you never broken a promise, a confidence? So, you know, I always start when I'm about to to help someone through something, uh, or someone has something to confess to me, I always start with, well, where is that shortcoming in that? Where is that flaw in me? I understand that. Yeah. The permutation's different, but I'm I'm no better. I'm no different. Well, and I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Quite often, and we've already talked about this. Quite often, the pushback is, "What do you you expect me just to forget what they've done?" No. And hold on, hold on. But the, but the reality is, 
we, we tend to forget very easily what we have done. Oh, of course. It's, yes, there's a lot of amnesia when it's our fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's all true. That's all true. And, you know, look, that's why pain is an opportunity. I've had, I've had women who come to me whose husbands have had affairs, and they have managed together as a couple to create a very beautiful second marriage within their first marriage because this infidelity has led to the first real conversation these two people have had in years. I have also had situations where there's been infidelity in a marriage, and frankly, it didn't lead to much reconciliation. It leads to people kind of living as roommates or getting divorced. Pain is an invitation. Whether or not you accept this invitation is entirely up to you. Rabbi Steve Leader, he is the author of More Beautiful Than Before, How Suffering Transforms Us. You are a really stinking great communicator. Sorry, I just had to get that uh, out. Well, there we now. Um, <laughs> you, you, um, you know what, Tim? We should, I wonder, he's too big of a deal to get. We should just get some, some local putz rabbi guy to come in and do this again. Because we do a, we do a little game show uh, around Hanukkah time on, on our radio show. And usually, last time we did this, it was with a local comedian radio host uh, named uh, Howard Glassman, also known as Humble from Humble and Fred, and Andy Kindler. And do you know comedian Andy yeah, Kindler? Yeah, I do. Of course, I've known Andy a long time. Okay. I used to produce uh, Jewish comedy hours uh, at the temple, and Andy was one of the early acts. Yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah, so dry. So I had Andy yeah. and Humble on, and then we got a local rabbi in, and we played How Jew Are You? <laughs> And it was a, it was okay. it was a big hit, and uh, and we, we we asked all these sort of questions that you know just to see how how. Give me one. Give me one. Oh heck, I don't know. I had I have no idea. Maybe on you know what day, what day of uh, of a young boy's life is the circumcision performed? I don't know. Something like that, right? You the know. worst. The, the worst. worst. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> Holy crap! That was fast. <laughs> you know, I've often said, uh, and I'm glad you're, you're buddies with Rick, uh, Rick and Kay Warren. I mean, Rick is just a an oh, absolute special guy. Oh, he is. He's just a stinking mushbag teddy bear guy. And yeah. anyway, uh, my my uh, real question was, um, I've said this often about the contrast between an evangelical pastor and a rabbi. And, and you tell me if I'm accurate, and I should stop saying this or not, uh, or continue okay. continue saying. An evangelical pastor's job description is to come up with the answers for his congregation. A rabbi's job description is to struggle along with his congregation in the questions. I think it depends, because to be honest with you, I think if you're talking about a fundamentalist rabbi, you know, an orthodox fundamentalist rabbi, I think the distance between that rabbi and, a, and an evangelical Christian is, is not that wide. Hmm. Uh, when you're when you're talking, you know, Judaism has denominations, just like Christianity. But when you're talking about rabbis who uh, are part of the uh, less fundamentalist, less liter- less literal streams of Judaism, like someone like my like I am, um, then I think the gulf does widen. I, I would say I had a beautiful interaction once. I was in a study group with an Orthodox rabbi, and he said, "You know, Steve, here's the difference between the two of us. When someone comes to me with a problem." I, I look at them, I, I look in the text, and then I look at them and give them the answer they need. You look at them, then you look in the text and give them the answer they need. 
we end up at the same place, but we we have a different process. Um, so I, I think that's that's a fair way of looking at it. If you weren't a rabbi, what would your mother want you to be? <clears throat> oh, well, that's that's an easy one. I, I had the opportunity to be the, uh, the proud president of Leader Brothers Scrap Iron and Metal in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> 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 my father sat me down my junior year of college, and he said, Stephen... The way I see it, there are a couple of career paths for you when you finish college. You could go to law school and take over the scrapyard, or you could not go to law school and take over the scrapyard. <laughs> <laughs> those were my those were my two choices. <laughs> wow, wow. Was yeah. there was there a? T- I'm sorry, I'm going a bit over time here, but it, I just want to know: right. uh, was there a moment, a, a tipping point for you when you went? That's it. I'm becoming a rabbi. Oh, for sure, absolutely. I remember exactly when it was. Uh, so when I was 14, I was playing drums in a rock and roll band and I got arrested for shoplifting and I was hanging out with the wrong kids. I was the fourth, I'm the fourth of five kids. So my parents kind of, I don't know, weren't paying a lot of attention. I think I was raised by wolves. And then I I got arrested shoplifting albums at Target with my buddies in the band. And, uh, my parents went to see the rabbi and he said, you know, you need to change Steve's peer group. So they sent me to this amazing uh, Jewish summer camp in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, the summer that I had just turned 15. From the moment I stepped off the bus, I fell in love with everything about it, everything. You know, I, I, a rabbis in, in shorts and T-shirts who could throw a baseball, that was news to me, that rabbis could be normal people. You know, I loved the counselors. I loved the, the music. I loved the girls with the flowers in their hair. They yeah, weren't so good at 70s. baseball, but they could play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, you know. They were better than my Germanic rabbis in suits and ties who were scary and unapproachable. Right, right. It opened up a world for me that I never, ever, ever turned my back on for a moment after that. That's so interesting because that parallels my life as well. Uh, until I went to a Christian summer camp, did I? Uh, not until that mm-hmm. moment did I realize that that there could be normal people who were actual Christians exactly. who yeah. were. I don't know. There's something about that experience, and I'm looking across the board at my my associate here, Tim the Tool. Yeah. Uh, Tim and I both went to this camp, and I, right? I mean, that's the thing where yeah, we well, went. Wait a second. My previous experience of this God stuff was a bunch of you know, right? Dressed up people singing lame songs in in church. Yeah, it wasn't the pastors <laughs> exactly. in the shorts and t-shirts though. It was the girls in the shorts. Right. It was the yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it was. I believe there was a God when I met some of them. Yeah, I think we called that flirt and convert. Yes, we did. Yeah, Yeah. and you actually got points for being good. Yes. Well, doing doing the right thing. Uh, Uh, Yeah. uh, Listen. (laughs) Let's just move along. Uh, Um, You know, the camp, I think the thing about camp is that it makes religion, spirituality, whatever word you want to use, organic to the environment. It's not something you do for two hours on a Saturday or two hours on a Sunday. It's organic yeah. and whole and real, and and that's moving. That's powerful. I would just, I'm sorry, but at the at the end of this interview, I want to know why Kenny hasn't invited me out to Temple to, to your joint. That's a good question. Hey. I'm gonna, you know, you know, I'm gonna email him immediately after this interview, and we're gonna take care of that. I'm gonna go to. You should be there, Drew. Uh, I'm going to a Temple here in town with the last rabbi who refereed. How Jew are you? Uh, we're going to go to the candle lighting ceremony thing on ha- Hanukkah, I think, uh, the first night of Hanukkah. Ah, nice. Yeah. But you should come down and you should join us at Wilshire Boulevard Temple for the High Holy Days. It'll 
It'll move you. It'll blow your mind. And I promise not to try to convert you. I just want as many holidays as you guys have. Uh, so many stinking yeah, but, holidays. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want the surgery, Drew. No, well, yeah, well been there, done yeah. that. <laughs> and you, do, you have, do you have double-sided tape in the yarmulkes? Because Drew hasn't you know, got any I'm, hair to I'm, pin it to. I'm, I'm pretty bald, too, so it's all about having the right size and shape. It is. Oh, okay. It is, yeah. I was yeah. pulled out with forceps, yeah. so any hat fits. <laughs> yeah. um, listen, Rabbi Steve Leader, he is the author of More Beautiful Than Before, How Suffering Transforms Us. It's out now. You can get it everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, including Target as your shoplifting Kiss albums. <laughs> Bob Dylan album. Oh, sorry. Okay, that makes sorry. it okay. Then. That makes a lot. Yeah, it's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that, you should have waited a few years till cassettes came out because shoplifting an album hurt. <laughs> Shoving those things down your pants with the corners yeah. and yeah. oh my goodness! Yeah, well, I, I had the brain of a fourteen-year-old. Need uh, I say more? Yeah, there it is. There it is. Uh, Rob, I thank you again for your time, and I look forward to meeting you one of these thank days. You. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I as well. Bye bye. Bye bye.